there's a three-letter word that can completely change your life. It can completely change your mood, uh, your circumstances. It can completely change your future. And if you say this three-letter word to someone else, it could completely change their mood. It can completely change their circumstances. It could completely change their future. So what do you think that word is? But let me give you, tell you, it's not God. That would be a good one, but that's not the three-letter word I'm thinking of. Uh, the three-letter word I'm talking about is the word yes. Y-E-S, yes. And so how can that word do all of those things? How can that word be so powerful? How can it change someone's mood, their circumstances, their future, their life? Well, when Katie and I were on a mission trip to France, when we worked for Campus Crusade for Christ, we were on top of the Eiffel Tower, and at one point I got down on one knee and asked her, will you marry me? And her response to that was, yes. And from that day forward, it completely changed uh, our future, our situation, our life together. It completely changed both of our moods. Can you imagine how I would have felt if she would have said no? Uh, that would have been not great. That would have changed both of our moods. Uh, but that word, yes, changed it. And as we parent Hudson, and he asks us for something, uh, you know, I want another cookie, or I want this toy. Uh, there's one word that can completely change his mood, uh, completely change how he's feeling and how he's reacting. And if we say yes, you can have another cookie, you know, that's going to be you know, really good on his mood. If we say no, that's going to change his circumstances and change his mood entirely. And so think about yourself. What's, what's the biggest question you've answered yes to? I'll put some up on the board. So what's the biggest question you've ever answered yes to? I know I did the marriage one, so sorry I took that from you. When you're offered a job. Offered a job, and you say, yes, I'll do that, okay? So that completely changes your circumstances and your, and your mood, your future. Well, that would work, too. So requests from people to do something. What else? What are the biggest questions you've said yes to? Choosing painfulness. Choosing painfulness. Okay. Is that what you said? Painfulness? Yeah. So choosing painfulness. Yeah. Thankfulness. Alright. That would that was that would completely change what I was writing here. Choosing thankfulness, okay. Yeah, no matter what comes your way, you're being thankful. So choosing thankfulness. Yeah, yeah, we'll blame the mask. Not my hearing. <laughs> I'm going to ask Woodstock. Moving to Woodstock. Nick and Emma made a big choice to move to Woodstock. Moving to Woodstock. Change your circumstances. Change your future. Larry also did too. Somebody asking you if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay, so uh, saying yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, so we'll say asking to trust Jesus. Any others? You want to start counseling. Start. Do you want to start counseling? Okay, starting counseling. Change your life. Change your future. What I have in mind is a surgery. Maybe you have a big surgery that you are having to be done, and it's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. And then you eventually say uh, yes to it. So that would, you know, change a lot of things. It's a big question to say yes to. One last one. Does anybody have one they're thinking? Mom, 
leave it at that. So on the other side of that then, you know, what are some of the smallest questions you've answered yes to? Do you want a coffee? Do you want a coffee? Okay. Or do you want cream and sugar with that? <laughs> yeah, smallest questions. So do you want to supersize that? Actually, we've been asked that in a while. Do they still ask that? Supersize that. I feel like that's a tattoo you should get, Ryan. Like, that's a small question. That. <laughs> I guess that's not really a yes, is that? Uh, you guys get the point. <coughs> Any other small questions you've answered yes to? The smallest ones? asking me for something. Is it time to get up? That could really alter someone's mood, though. <laughs> yeah, is there coffee? Yeah, so you can think of a lot of little, little questions that actually some of the little questions could really change our mood. It's like, well, I said you know, yes to having cream and sugar, and we didn't give me cream and sugar, and that can really like, you know, work us up, or some of these other ones, and we have big questions we answered yes to that change our circumstances, change our mood, change our future, and so you start one, asking the question, why did you say yes to some of these things, like some of the big things, why would you say yes to those things, and usually we give our biggest yeses uh, to someone that we trust, and it's, it's kind of like our yes will grow in proportion to how much we trust the person that is asking us the question. And but sometimes we also say yes out of desperation. Uh, it's maybe our only option. Like if you uh, got in a car crash and you're being wheeled into the emergency room, you don't really have time to research, is this the best doctor? Am I going to like this person? Just sort of like, you know, whoever is going to keep me alive, like I'm just going to say yes to them. Or it could be um, if your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, you may not have much choice about which car mechanic you choose. You just have to say yes to whichever one's there. So some, sometimes we say yes because of trustworthiness. Sometimes we say yes because of, of desperation. It's like the only option we have left. And today as we continue this series in the Gospel according to Luke, uh, to seek and to save, as how Jesus described his mission, it's giving us an up-close picture of who Jesus is, uh, what he taught and what he was about, and what it means to follow him. And today's passage, Luke 5, 1 through 11, uh, hits uh, all these things, you know, who Jesus is, what he came to do, what it means to follow him. And so far, we've seen Jesus beginning his mission of preaching uh, a message of good news, the good news of the kingdom. And so what is the good news? What does this kingdom look like? Why is it good news? And what we saw in Jesus' inaugural sermon, Isaiah 61, he, was, uh, he says, I'm fulfilling this, and the kingdom of God looks like uh, the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a time in Old Testament law when people who were in debt uh, got their debts forgiven, and some people have, would have to sell themselves into slavery to say, I don't have any money to live on, I'm going to sell myself to you. And in the year of Jubilee, it happened every 50 years, uh, they got released from slavery, they got their debts forgiven. If they had to sell their land off, they got their land back. And so this, it's this big reset uh, in the nation of Israel. So that's what Jesus says God's kingdom of, is like. If you've messed up your life because of sin, if you've just gone astray, you've wandered off, gone on the wrong path, if you've mistreated people or you've been mistreated, if you've been held captive by sin and Satan or sickness, if you're broken and you're tired of this broken world, 
God's kingdom is good news for you, he says. It's this reversal, this reset. It's when God, God's kingdom is when God's going to undo all the brokenness in your life because of sin and all the brokenness in the world. It's when God is going to release us from the shackles of sin and Satan and restore us to who he made us to be. And in last week's passage, we saw Jesus putting that sermon into action. He goes to some of the most hurting people in Israel, and he heals people of their sicknesses, he casts demons out, he's releasing people from the things that are oppressing them and holding them captive. And this week's passage brings us to focus on Simon, uh, who's later called Peter. And I might slip up and call him Peter, even though the passage says uh, Simon or Simon Peter. But this week focuses on his response to Jesus. And we met him briefly last week in Capernaum, and Peter has a decision to make. Will he say yes to Jesus? Now that's the question he has to answer. Like we've been talking about what things we say yes to. Peter has, uh, Simon has this question. Is he going to say yes to Jesus? And that's the question for all of us. Will we say yes to Jesus? Will we say yes to his lordship over our lives? Will we say yes to his direction and guidance? Will we say yes to living and acting how he tells us to? Will we say yes to what he asks of us? Will we say yes to following him today, tomorrow, and the next day, and each day after that? And Peter has this unique story, just like each of us has a unique story, but there's elements of his story that apply to everybody who's wanting to follow Jesus. And so as we look at it, we'll see, okay, this is how what it looks like for us too. And this story happens on the Lake of Gennesaret, which is often called the Sea of Galilee, even though it's fresh water, it's not a sea, but it was, I don't know, it was like a nickname it got. And so he's on the Sea of Galilee, and it's, we, last week we saw Jesus... Uh, in Capernaum, and the sea of Capernaum, that city is on the Sea of Galilee, and so this story is probably happening near Capernaum, and that's where Peter lives. And Jesus is conducting this teaching session uh, all on the shore by the Sea of Galilee, and, and there's a bunch of people attending, and the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. They're like, you know, I want to get closer. I want to see him. They want to hear the word of God, it says. And so Jesus, he, his message is the good news of the kingdom, but it's also called the word of God, meaning, okay, it's coming from God, and it bears God's authority. Jesus is someone who is speaking on behalf of God, like an Old Testament prophet would. So what is the kingdom of God he's talking about? It, Israel's hope was that God would send his Messiah to bring God's kingdom from heaven to earth. The Messiah, or the Christ, would bring God's reign and rule so that peace and justice and mercy and righteousness were the norm. God's kingdom means that what sin has caused is undone. And because of the crowd pressing in on him, Jesus looks over and he sees these two boats, and he wants to get in one of them, uh, and Simon is the owner of one of them. and he, So he gets in it and he says, hey, can we put your boat out uh, a ways from the shore, which creates some distance. Okay, this crowd isn't up on me. And if you're on the water, it creates like a natural amphitheater, kind of amplifies uh, his voice. And so this, Simon's saying, yes, you can use my boat. That's Simon's first yes to Jesus. And after finishing teaching of the crowd, he's teaching them, he's, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon explains the situation to Jesus. Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. You know, we, we've worked our butts off and we've caught nothing all night. And he is saying, you, what, what is this going to do? And we need to understand a little bit about fishing uh, to like, make this story come alive. And so uh, what Simon was doing fishing at night is there are these nets they had that are made out of like, linen. And they would do that, they would fish at night. Uh, so that the fish couldn't see the net, or at least that was a theory. I don't know if fish could see the dark or not. But, uh, so in the daytime, if you put out these linen nets, well, the fish will see it and they'll swim away. And so that's what Simon, he's saying, we've, we've worked all night and using the nets that are you supposed to use for nighttime. And now it's daytime, and you want me to use my daytime nets 
to put out for fish. And it's kind of like, what? I've been, you know, we haven't gotten anything, and we were fishing at the right time. And Simon emphasizes, we worked all night and took nothing. Why don't we try again after working so long without catching anything? And in addition, Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's the son of a carpenter, and he's a teacher. And now he's telling a fisherman, hey, I think you should fish over here. I think you'd really catch something there. And so it's like, okay. Uh, but the lesson for the crowd has ended, but Simon's lesson is just beginning. And Simon first responds uh, from his profession as a fisherman. This isn't going to work. But then he has this profession of faith in Jesus. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. This is Simon's second yes to Jesus in this passage. And from a human fisherman's perspective, Simon doesn't see how what Jesus is saying will work. But he responds and says, but if you're telling me to do it, I'm going to do it. And think about your own life. Is there anything that you're currently being asked to do that just from a human perspective seems like this makes no sense? This just wouldn't work. And you feel like God is maybe pushing you or urging you or kind of nudging at you. This is what I want you to do. Or maybe you've read a command in scripture and be like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would I do that? Is there something like that in your life? Maybe you hear God saying, you know, pray for this person. Tell that person Jesus loves you. Give money to this person. Bring some food to your neighbor. Ask that person how they're doing. Jesus often asks us to do what doesn't make sense except through the eyes of faith. So Simon does as Jesus instructed. And to his surprise, they catch this huge uh, uh, batch of fish. And his nets start breaking. He has to call over his business partners. Hey, bring your boat over here too and help us with this. And they bring it up and they fill both boats full of so much fish that they begin to sink. And verse 8 shows us Simon's response. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why does he react this way? Verse 9 says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So Simon's astonished at this catch of fish they had taken. And perhaps we'd expect him to fall down at Jesus' feet uh, and say, Oh my gosh, that was amazing. How did you do that? Or thank you so much for all these fish. Uh, this is such a blessing. This is great. You know, I, can't, I just can't believe this. We maybe would expect them to do that. Or maybe say, wow, you have such great power and authority. How do, you, how do you know so much about fishing? But he doesn't do any of that. He, he does not respond in this way. Instead he says, depart from me. And remember this scene is him. This is a boat full of fish. So Simon's you know, kneeling in this boat full of fish saying these things to Jesus. Depart from me. So why does he say that? Well, he says in the Right after that, for I am a sinful man. And this response is typical of someone who finds themselves in the presence of God. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel gets this vision where he sees God's glory and he falls down on his face. And Isaiah 6 that we read before, Isaiah sees this vision of God and his glory and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When John saw a vision of Jesus' glory in Revelation 1, he fell at his feet as though dead, it says. When God reveals himself to someone, they often fall down on their faces and think they're going to die. Why, why is that? Why in those moments do people like, I'm, I'm dead? They just fall down on their feet. It's because they have a clear awareness of what Romans 3.23 says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And we, some of you have seen this, this chart before. I don't really know what to call it, the cross chart or something like that. Uh, but they have this clear awareness of this is God's glory. I'm seeing it. I am sinful, and I fall short of that glory. And so sometimes in our life, we might uh, we have this chart here. And so we'll see up here, God's holiness. Probably can't read that at all. My sinfulness. And as Christians, the longer we are Christians, the more we see the gap between those two things. So this is time. Over time, we more and more see the gap between those things. But sometimes we live in this place where it's like, you know what? The gap really isn't that big. I can fill that gap with, you know, maybe uh, doing more good things, or maybe we compare ourselves to other people. Like, you know, I'm not as bad as them. And so it's like, oh, my gap isn't as big as theirs, so I must be better off than them. Or maybe we just pretend, uh, you know, the things that I do aren't that bad. Like, we tell ourselves that. And so we might not see that this gap between God's holiness and His glory is not that big. And so we try to fill it um, with our own uh, abilities, our own work. But the issue is, no matter what we do, we're not going to measure up. We can never fill that gap on our own, whether we're trying to perform and meet God's standards, or whether we're trying to pretend that our sinfulness isn't really as bad as it is. And so what can fill that gap? Well, there's only one thing. So look what Peter, uh, what Jesus says to Peter in the second half of verse 10. It says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter is the first person to be labeled as a sinner so far in the gospel according to Luke. Many others will be given this label, and Jesus says, you know, I've come for the sinners, not for the righteous. I've come for those who are sick, not those who are healthy. And what will Jesus do with this terrified sinner who says, just depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What's he going to do with this guy kneeling down in the fish before him, uh, saying, just depart from me? And he doesn't say, you know, you're right, uh, and you're actually worse than you think you are. But he says, do not be afraid. That's the first thing he says to Peter, to Simon. He calms his fears. He comforts and assures him. This is often what God does when people bow down before him. When they're seeing, oh, I just got a clear sense and a clear vision of your holiness. And suddenly I'm very clearly aware of my sinfulness. And I'm just going to die if I'm in your presence. And God will often say, do not fear. To Isaiah, he took a coal and he said, he cleansed them. And Simon doesn't yet fully see who Jesus is, but he's starting to. In verse 5, Simon addressed Jesus as master. And master is, can be a replacement word for uh, rabbi, which is like a word for teacher. And Simon saw Jesus as a teacher worthy of respect. Okay, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll give you my boat. Sure, I'll put, out, you know, I'll put my nets out here. You know, I don't know if this will work. Uh, but then in verse 8, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Lord, in some circumstances, can just mean like sir, kind of like a you know, nice, uh, respectful way of addressing someone. But it's also the word used in the Greek Old Testament for God's name. And Simon is not yet seeing that Jesus is the God of Israel in the flesh. He's not saying that or seeing that at this point. That's obvious from later times when uh, Jesus asked them, you know, who... Who do you say that I am? And he's doing these miracles and stuff, and they're like, who then is this that has this kind of authority? So that picture is still being filled in. But Lord is more than a term of respect to you. He's not just saying, you know, sir, uh, because he falls down on Jesus' knees in a boat full of fish and says, you know, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
That's more than respect. Simon has caught a glimpse of who Jesus really is. He doesn't yet have the full picture, but he's starting to see it. He caught a glimpse of Jesus as the Holy One of God. And he can see that God is working through Jesus and is present with Jesus. And he's seeing him as, you're more than a teacher. You're more than a rabbi. There's something else going on here. So let me ask you this. How often have you done what Simon does here? Had that feeling that I am completely unworthy before you, God, because of my sin, because of the ways I've turned away from what you say. You know, there's two, Jesus boils down the Old Testament. He said, no, it's too overwhelming, God. You just have too many commands. If you count all of them up in the first five books of the Bible, it's 613 laws. How in the world am I supposed to keep all that? Well, Jesus makes it pretty easy. Okay, here you go. Love God above all else. Love other people as yourself. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Just keep those two commands. You just keep those two commands, you could fill that gap in. You could, your righteousness could measure up to God's standard. But the reality is that we so often do not love God above everything else. In our priority list, we put other things above God. We put you know, whatever it is. We put ourselves above God. We put other people above God. We put our kids above God. We put our job above God. And God's not always being loved above all else with everything we have. And then secondly, love your other people as yourself is how often we do we actually want, I want you to love me like I want you to love me instead of I'm going to love you how I want to be loved. If we just had those two commands to measure ourselves by, we fall woefully short. And we might try to measure ourselves saying, you know, am I better than I was last year or last decade? Like, you know, I'm improving. And so, you know, God's got to count that for something. Or we might say, I measure ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. Am I better than that person? We might measure ourselves by minimizing the bad and emphasizing the good. You know, oh, they, they're going to outweigh each other. The good in my life is going to outweigh the bad. And I, you know, I just hope that, I, you know, that God's going to be good with that. But in the end, none of these measurements will matter. The only matter, measurement that matters is the measurement in comparison to God. And Jesus says, we can't, we can't perform or pretend our way out of our sin, our rebellion, our ways we fall short. There's only one thing that can fill that gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And it's, Jesus isn't yet revealing that clearly, but the only thing that can fill it is the cross. And Jesus is the only one that can fill it. He sees someone that says, do not be afraid. And he's not like, you know what, Simon? Don't worry about it. You've done a lot of good things. They outweigh the bad things. Don't worry about it, Simon. You, you know, you're better than these other people on the shore. They didn't even let me use their boat. He doesn't say that. He, it's that reassurance of, I'm dead in God's presence. It can only come from God saying to us, do not be afraid. His grace, His mercy come to us, giving us that. And there's these two themes in Scripture that sit by, side by side that are purposely held in tension. And the one theme is God's abounding love and His desire to be with His people. And on the other side is God's just wrath toward our sinfulness. Those two truths are held side by side in Scripture many times. God has abounding love for humanity, for his people. He wants to be with them. And God has just wrath and anger towards all the ways we turn away from him. And so how are those going to get resolved? In love, God takes our sinfulness upon himself so that he can be with us. In the end, the cross fills the gap. That's where Jesus is going. It's like, how is this ever going to be filled? Jesus dies for the penalty that we deserve before God because of our sin in his presence. And this is how our debt of sin gets forgiven to God. This is how we don't get what we deserve for our rebellion against Him and God's rightful kingship over our lives. He pays the penalty. But Jesus doesn't stop at, do not be afraid. 
He also gives Simon a new purpose. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. And when Isaiah had his vision of God in Isaiah 6, God cleanses him of his sin, and then he sends him with a message to his people. And Simon is a fisherman, and now he wants to make Simon into a fisher of men. He wants to change it. Once he has humbled himself and seen himself rightly and truly before God, that now he can be used for God's purposes. And verse 11 says this, finish, rounds up the story. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon Peter, along with his business partners, James and John, possibly his brother Andrew, who's in the boat, uh, they've just got uh, the biggest catch they've probably ever gotten uh, in their lives. And their boats are full of these fish. What happens? They leave it all, go follow Jesus. They left a whole bunch of money behind. Those fish are going to die or somebody else is going to take them. They leave it behind. Left everything to follow. And this is Simon's third yes to Jesus in this passage. And often I've read this passage and thought, wow, these guys, I mean, they just met Jesus. He says, follow me. And he makes such an impression that they leave it all behind and follow him. And say, man, they just, you know, how, I'm not seeing that in my life or other people's lives. Like, just tell someone about Jesus. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'll leave my business and I'll come follow you where you want. It just seems amazing. But I just want to zoom out a bit to get a bigger picture of Simon or Peter's relationship with Jesus. In chapter 1 of the Gospel according to John, uh, John the Baptist is by the Jordan River, and he's doing his thing, baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he has a couple disciples with him. And they're sitting there, and Jesus comes walking by, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then two of his disciples get up, and they go follow Jesus. They ask, Where are you staying tonight? And then they stay with him. And one of those disciples of John that left to go be with Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother. And so he's like, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he's like, okay. He runs and goes and tells Simon Peter uh, and brings him over to see Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, you know, you're no longer going to be called Simon. You're going to be called Peter. He renames him. And then later, Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is where Peter's hometown is. This is where his uh, house is. And then he stays at Simon's house after he teaches in the synagogue. He heals not only Simon's mother-in-law, but he heals all these other people that have diseases and demons, and he's healing all of these people. And so how long, and then we have this story that we just read today, all these interactions. So how long did it take for Simon to leave everything to follow Jesus? And our church planting director for our denomination in this district uh, says, discipleship is helping someone take their next step of obedience. I like that definition. I would, I would switch uh, just two words around to match our mission statement. Discipleship is inviting someone to take their next step of surrender. Discipleship is inviting someone to take their next step of surrender. And so what was Simon's next step all along in this journey to becoming a follower of Jesus who left everything? Well, Simon is introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. And Simon possibly hears Jesus' good news of the kingdom while he's teaching in the synagogue and possibly uh, when he's teaching on the, the beach there. And he sees him heal both his mother-in-law and a bunch of other people and cast out demons. And he stays in Simon's house and he hears him teach uh, on the beach while he's washing his nets. And Jesus then gets involved, gets him involved in the kingdom mission. He says, you put your boat out so I can you know, talk to these people better. And then, okay, yeah, sure, I'll help you with whatever you're doing. Uh, but then while he's in the boat, he says, put out your net and see what the catch of fish is. Put it out one more time, which tested Simon's trust. And Jesus then calls him to be a fisher of people, and he leaves everything to follow him. 
what we need to realize is that uh, leaving everything to follow Jesus uh, at this point isn't the end of Simon's journey. Because Simon doesn't even call Jesus the Christ until chapter 9 of Luke. And then he's finally seeing Jesus, you're the king fulfilling God's promises. But he still doesn't see Jesus clearly because Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. And then he says, that's ridiculous, you're not going to die on the cross. And then Jesus, he rebukes Jesus, then uh, Jesus rebukes him. And then when Jesus is arrested and put on trial, Peter first abandons him and then denies him even knowing him. And finally, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter becomes a primary leader in the church. So Jesus met Simon at the beginning of a three-year earthly ministry. So how many months were between each of those steps of surrender? Three years were, were between the first and him becoming a leader in the church. But then even after this, Peter has to learn in Acts 10 that the gospel is for all people. And then Paul confronts him in Galatians chapter 2 and says, you're not walking a step with the gospel. And so his journey just keeps going even after Jesus is resurrected. Simon doesn't follow Jesus perfectly. And there were stages before he even began following. What, what did he do? He said yes to Jesus all, all along the way. And if you like writing big ideas down, our big idea for today is this. You become a follower of Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. You become a follower of Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. This is how you get into a relationship with Jesus. You say yes to him. As a church, we summarize that as surrender. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, and the way we become citizens of that kingdom is by saying yes to him, surrendering our lives to him. Relationship with Jesus is the only way to enter the kingdom. We have to say yes to the king in order to be part of that kingdom. And we may wonder, okay, when we have this uh, Simon with this little journey here, let's imagine that he has, we have Jesus put a little crown this is Jesus and Simon started here and we saw him, you know, he had a step there, he had a step there another step there, another step there, another step there and at what point this is him saying yes to Jesus getting closer and closer to him, seeing him more and more clearly and we may wonder okay, well what, at what point was he saved? at what point was Simon going to uh, not die and go to hell? at what point is he saved? And one common way to help people respond to the gospel today is to say, you know, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? And uh, do you want to trust in him? Yeah. And then we lead him into a prayer. Jesus, you died for my sins. I believe that. I'm trusting you for forgiveness of my sins. Uh, But Simon followed Jesus for three years before there was ever a cross, you know, before Jesus ever died for his sins. So the message he's hearing isn't, uh, Simon, I'm dying for your sins. Do you believe that fact? It's like, well, it hasn't happened yet. And he actually said, Jesus, no, you're not going to do that. So at what point is Simon saved? At what point? And that's not really the question Luke is answering for us here. But he's showing us what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus. You become a follower of Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. And that's where salvation is found. Salvation is found in surrendering to Jesus as our Lord and King. And the key to salvation is entering God's kingdom through a relationship with Jesus. Even if we don't yet fully understand that relationship. Because Peter was still learning even, you know, Acts 10. He's not even understanding what's going on fully. When he's our king, we're in his kingdom, and that means we receive the benefits of that kingdom. So Peter's story is his own unique story. But he also gives us a picture of what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. And seeing the stages is important for 
both as we surrender our life to Jesus and as we invite others to do the same. So, you know, if you look at the stage of Peter's journey, where do you see yourself on it? Is it are you kind of at that introductory stage where it's like, you know, I'm kind of learning what Jesus is about. Uh, he's, you know, has some cool stuff he says. He's a good teacher, but I'm in, being introduced to him. Or you're at the like aha stage. You have this clear picture. Oh, he is way more than I thought he was. He's the Lord of the universe. He's going to save people from their sins. He's going to be the Savior. You're convinced of that. He's more than a teacher. Or you're at the leaving everything to follow stage, where you've reoriented your life around him, or you're learning how to reorient your life around him. Have you gotten stuck somewhere on that journey? Do you see where, where do you see yourself? You're at the introduction stage, the aha stage, or at the leave everything to follow stage. You become a follower of Jesus by saying yes to Jesus. And so as you're considering how this applies to you, what's the yes you need to say to Jesus at this point in your life? Peter had various yeses along the way. He said yes to letting Jesus use his boat. He said yes to letting Jesus, uh, to put him down his nets, even though it didn't make sense. He said yes to leaving everything to follow Jesus. And each yes, it seems, builds in the, how much faith that we're required. And we know we're maturing in our faith when, we're mo- when, when our yes moves from letting Jesus help us to reorienting our life around him. Because we may sometimes like the, the benefits of Jesus' kingdom. Yes, forgive me. Yes, save me. Yes, help me with these problems I have. Oh, but that's like a beginning stage where Jesus is healing all these people and casting out demons, but they're not saying yes to him. They're not following him, uh, giving their life and leaving everything. Uh, it's different from saying, yes, I will leave everything and everything to follow where you lead. Our yes needs to be total life surrender. Yes, take my life, do with it what you want, and direct me. But often we don't see Jesus as our king, and so we see ourselves as our, the only, our king, the king over our lives. And we maybe let Jesus have some of our time uh, or some of our stuff. And we may change some of our behaviors, but we keep a lot of it for ourselves to do with them what we would like. And we need to move from letting Jesus use some of our stuff to saying, yes, it's all yours, it's not mine, use it how you want to use it, tell me what you want me to do with it. And we need to move from letting Jesus use some of our time to saying, yes, all my time is yours, my life is not my own, it belongs to you. And Peter got there through getting this awareness of who Jesus is, this, this chart, of having this awareness of, Are you depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He saw Jesus for more than he, more than he is on the surface of other people and said, yes, that's how God, he got him there. See, I'm unworthy of God's love, I'm unworthy of God's mercy, I'm unworthy of God's kindness, and yet, I'm standing before you and he says, do not be afraid. He's the one who calms his fears. And as a church, we answer the question, how do I surrender all of life to Jesus using our community practices? If you want to look in your songbook, it's in the back, the last page of the songbook. And these sum up the life Jesus calls us to. These are the things that Jesus called Simon into. So for yourself, in which of these areas are you needing to say yes to Jesus? Is it believing the gospel? And this is about learning to say yes to what is true of God and what's true of yourself. So what truths of the gospel or truths about yourself do you need to say yes to? Are you believing what God says is true about himself and about you? If not, what are you believing instead? So think about the cross chart we drew. Are you seeing yourself as, this is God's holiness, this is my sinfulness, I fall short, the only thing that's going to fill in that gap for me is Jesus. Are you trying to fill it in some other way? 
saying, or you're saying to yourself, I don't have to perform, I don't have to pretend, it's only by Jesus' word that I can be okay. Or is it living as family? This is about learning to say yes to not living life, to, to living life alongside others. So are you opening your life, your time, your struggles to others? Or are you living life on your own? And often we say no to living as family with others because, well, I want to use my time how I want to use it. Or we don't want to spend it with other people. You know, I have my things I just want to do. Or we cut ourselves off from community because we don't think we need it. Or we say no to opening our needs to others because we don't want to bother others with our problems. Do you need to say yes to loving as servants? This is about learning to say yes to serving others instead of only thinking of ourselves. So are you looking out for the needs of others? Do you give up your time, your energy, your resources for the good of others? You need to say yes to going as messengers. This is about learning to say yes to living intentionally, to tell others about Jesus instead of being unengaged in Jesus' mission. So are you praying for people far from God? Are you sharing openly about your relationship with Jesus? Or do you need to say yes to relying on the Spirit? This is about yes to saying this is about saying yes to the Spirit's leading and the power instead of our own. So are you taking time to listen to God, or do you fill it all all your time in with noise or other things? So which of these do you need to say yes to? Which one is lacking in your life? Or which one is faded in importance or practice? What do you say no to? Or what do you need to say no to in order to say yes to surrendering to Jesus? And what do you say yes to more than Jesus? You know, I say yes to you know, TV or I say yes to my phone or I say yes to this, this, or that more than I say yes to Jesus. I'd rather spend my time doing those things than what he's asking me to do. So as we also think about this as a community of people living for Jesus, we also need to think about he calls us to be fishers of people, fish, bringing other people into his kingdom. You know, that, think of that image. Uh, and often we view this as, uh, okay, I need to be a person with a fishing pole on my own, throwing the, you know, the line into the water. And that's what it looks like to be a fisher of men. But what's G- Peter doing? He has a net. He has someone else in the boat with him, and he has another boat of people who are partnering with him. And so us fishing, being, becoming fishers of people, looks like us doing it together. And so think about the people in your life uh, that are, don't know Jesus or for, are far from God or wandered away from being part of a church community. What is their next yes uh, to Jesus? It might be that their next yes is you offering to pray for them, and they say yes. Their next yes might be uh, you saying, can I hear a little more about your spiritual background? And they say, yes. Their next yes might be actually just something you do. And it's showing them that, hey, this is God's important to this person, and they care about me. Um, one thing that could be a, a step for people that we're thinking of, they're like, man, I, I really care about this person. I want them to um, get closer to God. Is again, the, the Easter invites that we have uh, on the table back there. Um, maybe their next yes is uh, just taking that you know, from you. Maybe they won't come, maybe they will, but maybe they need to be shown, oh, you care about them, and you care about God and their spiritual life, and you're giving us invite. I'm like, hey, my church is doing this Easter service. I don't know if you're celebrating anywhere. love for you to come with me. Let me know if you want to come. So I encourage each of you to think of a couple people, and in fact, we'll do that right now. If you have a piece of paper just in your mind, um, take a couple moments of silence and think, who are the people in my life uh, that 
I would want to give this invite to. And it can be so, you know, when having something in your hand, I find, is one of the easiest ways to talk to someone about your faith. Because it's like, you know, knocking the door, hey, our church is doing this Easter service, and I don't know if you guys are going somewhere, I'd love for you to come. And then that can start a conversation. I just find it really easy when there's something in my hand that I'm going to talk to somebody about. Um, so take a few moments right now and just think, who in my life would I want to give one of those invites to? Or maybe somebody else in your life that you... Uh, there's, a, there's another yes that you wanted to say yes to. Just take a moment. as we close, just going back to that picture of fishing, isn't this one person event that Jesus is talking about? Go out with your pole and work at this. But we do this together. So if you have somebody that you're like, this is who is on my heart, on my mind, ask somebody to pray for them with you. Ask them to pray for you that you would have the courage or the words to say. And one last thing to remember is that who makes Simon and his partner successful in their fishing? They worked all night. Didn't catch a thing. Jesus tells them, put the net down there. They catch more fish than they possibly could. So in all this, we're relying on the spirit of saying, I can't change someone's heart. The only person in this room that can change someone's heart is the Holy Spirit. And that's the same that's true in any of our relationships, that it's not on us to change somebody. It's just on us to uh, invite others to take their next step of surrender to Jesus, whatever that may be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that before you, the reality is that we all fall short, terribly short, and we should say, depart from me, for I am a sinful person. And yet we can hear the words from you, do not be afraid, and we can hear the commission from you to go and share this with others. So Lord, would you make us into fishers of people who work together, who rely on your spirit to change people's hearts. Something we pray. Amen.